Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. You know, we've been talking about seasons. We've been in this series called All Seasons, and what we've been saying is He is God in all seasons of life. We've talked about difficult seasons. We've talked about hidden seasons. And thank you for those of you who've let me know that some of these messages have, it's almost like God's been reading your mail. And you've let me know. and, And I really appreciate that. And I say thank you. But internally, I was telling the team, I can't let that get to my head either. And what happens inwardly is I might say, well, thank you for sharing that. It means a lot. But inwardly in my heart, I have to make sure that I'm not getting a big ego, that before the Lord, I give him the glory. If God is going to use me or he's going to use you, people might say thank you to you, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then internally, as the posture of your heart, it shouldn't be, "I, I want more recognition. This feels good. And we begin to have a puffed up ego. Uh, You've heard me say this. In the kingdom, there's no ego, amigo. We have to give God the glory. And and we have to be able to go low. Amen? I might preach a sermon uh, called Low Seasons. uh, But that's not for today. Today, the title of the message, I'll give it to you later. But I want to start by uh, recounting a story of a pastor's wife named Dodie. And this pastor's wife, with her husband, dedicated themselves to the ministry, the work of uh, building the kingdom and building a church. But she was diagnosed with metastatic cancer of the liver. And this was 15 days before Christmas on December 10th, 1981. A long time ago, I know. She was 48 years old at the time, and I just want to share with you what some of what the doctor was saying, the interaction with her husband. So the doctor says, Pastor, I have some bad news for you. How many of you know you can never prepare for bad news? Seems like it just hits you unexpectedly all of the time whenever it shows up. Pastor, I have bad news for you. Your wife will be dead within a few weeks. Like, imagine hearing that. There's nothing we can do for her. No treatment we can give her. Her life is over. Just make up your mind. She's going to die within a few weeks. And as a man of faith, there has to be some pushback against that kind of report. And so the the husband, who is the pastor, said, well, that's some sad news. He said, we, (coughs) excuse me, we believe in miracles. And the doctor said, well, you're going to have to have a miracle if she is going to live. And so the pastor looks at the doctor and said, well, we're going to get that miracle. And the couple I'm talking about is John Osteen and his wife, Dodie Osteen. And Dodie, October 22nd, is going to turn 90 years old. And so she was 48 when she was given a three-week sentence to live. And the faith of her husband first, because he was the one who was saying this, and it's on YouTube, you can find it, where John Osteen, by the way, he, John Osteen was an old school Pentecostal preacher, and actually I went to Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas at the end of April of this year, and my, my friend is the drummer there, and I got to see like behind the scenes, and don't believe everything you read or hear about in the news or from media and all of those sorts of things. Uh, I had firsthand conversations with many of the people who are on staff there. And the media has a great way of spinning a lot of stuff. I don't want to go on to just um, talk about a church. We're going to get to the word. But what I appreciated was you hear the stories of miracles. You hear the stories of God showing up and doing what only he can do, as we've been saying a lot at Weston lately. 
that God can do what only he can do. And I, I sat in the second row off to the side and I could look across and I could see Dodie in the room. And I was like, wow, 90 years. She's about to turn 90 and God's been faithful and God did the work. And there's a quote from Joel Osteen which is going to set up today's message that I want to read. And he said this, one of the main reasons that we lose our enthusiasm in life is because we become ungrateful. We let what was once a miracle become common to us. We get so accustomed to his goodness that it becomes a routine. And when I thought about, that's an older quote, but when I remember hearing the story about his mother, I thought, it's so true. What God did, you know, when she was 48, she's turning 90, it's easy to forget. But we need to remember, lest we become ungrateful. And today, it's Thanksgiving. <clears throat> we're, we have, you know, maybe we're thankful for family, thankful for our job, thankful for whatever God is doing, maybe. A lot of times, hear me for a second, it's based on material things. And at the end of this message, we're going to talk about a story out of Luke 17. But at the end, <clears throat> I want to make sure that we're able to see that even if Jesus didn't do another thing, what he's already done for you and me is still more than enough. Do you hear me? Salvation, he's made a way for us. And I'll give you an opportunity at the end of the service sermon, if you haven't received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, before you walk out, you'll have an opportunity to receive him as your Lord and Savior. And I'll explain that a little more. But there's so much more than just the material things. Because they're going to rot away. They're going to rust. The shiny new toy is going to become old and dull. And then we're going to move on to another thing. But those things are temporal. They don't last. And anything we try to attain in this life, guess what? It stays here. But the only thing that we'll take is our salvation. We won't even take this body, as beautiful as some of ours are. We won't even get, we're going to get a new glorified body. And so today with God's help, I want to preach to you out of Luke chapter 17. We're still in our series on all seasons, but I'll give you the title later. So if you have your Bible, would you stand to your feet? We'll read. We stand in honor of God's word. So all who are able, would you stand? And when we stand to honor God's word, what that actually means is, I fear the Lord. And it's not a fear of like, don't hit me. It's a, I stand in awe of who you are, God, and of what your word says. So Luke 17, and we'll read starting at verse 11. It'll be on the screen behind me in the New Living Translation. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go wash yourselves to the priests. Sorry, go show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God. Listen to this. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one as no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word carries more weight than man's opinion. Lord, your word is already anointed to do what you need it to do in our hearts and in our lives. So Lord, now I humble myself as your servant under your mighty hand, Lord. I pray that you would give me breath to speak, and Lord, anoint me, my mind, my lips, and my heart, that I might speak your word to your people, and speak it the way you want it to, not the way I think it should. And so, God, I yield myself to your control, Holy Spirit. 
give you this moment, and I speak to every heart, be open to receive what God has for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. A very interesting story. And when we think about it, I think a lot of times we are not like the one, we're like the nine. And, and we'll come to that in a bit. But I want to break down and unpack this text. It's a very simple story, but there are a few nuances that you have to pick up. And so verse 12 tells us that, well, firstly, Jesus is, is moving about. He's coming through. It says he enters this village. <clears throat> and here's what happens. The ten men with leprosy stood at a distance. So again, there's some nuances there. So to understand that simple phrase, which maybe you would just gloss over it. Leviticus informs us that there were certain rules and regulations. Such as, well, if you're sick, you do this. If you're not sick, well, then you're, you're good and you could come do this. Or before you come back, this is what you have to do. There were some, some rules around ceremony, around being considered clean or unclean. And so Leviticus chapter 13, by the way, so we're reading in the New Testament. Jesus said, I've come not to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill the law. So it doesn't mean that the Old Testament is garbage. We don't need to read it or understand it. Actually, when you understand the Old Testament, it informs what's going on in the New Testament. And why certain things are the way they are. It's really fascinating when you actually begin to study the Word of God for yourself. And not just take secondhand what you hear in a sermon. So read the Word, study the Word, stay in the Word. And so Leviticus 13 verses 45 and 46. Look what it says. Those who suffer from a serious skin disease. That's what leprosy is. Must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed. In other words, it's got to be very evident what's going on. They must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean. As long as the serious disease lasts, <coughs> they will be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. So back to verse 12, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance. Interesting. So they're following that part. But look at verse 13. It says that they're crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, my curious mind says, shouldn't they have said, unclean, unclean? But instead, something in them, and it's called faith. I'll give you the answer. Something inside of them is saying, hey guys, today is not like every other day. So they, they obeyed the first part about being at a distance, but they didn't say, unclean, unclean. That would have been normal and ordinary. You know, I've heard the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. If they would have just said, unclean, unclean, stood at a distance, I don't know if anything would have changed in their circumstance, but they chose, I don't know what, the, you know what their thought process was, but I believe they took a step of faith when instead of saying unclean, unclean, they said, Jesus, Master. That word master is a big word. Master, have mercy on us. There was a submissiveness to their approach to Jesus when you use the word master, it means that you are under that person, under their authority, under their sovereignty and their leadership. And so Jesus, master, have mercy on us, is a loaded phrase compared to unclean, unclean. They were, they were basically with their faith saying today is not going to be the same. Something is different. We are stepping out in faith. And so Jesus takes note. 
the text goes on to say that he looked at them and he says something very interesting. You know, maybe they were hoping for something like, we're going to do something different. We're going to talk to him. Maybe he's going to come to us. He's going to reach out his hand and touch us so that we could be healed. You know, we have all these dreams and ideas of how God's going to move, how God's going to show up and do what only he can do. And, you know, I don't know what their expectation was of what was Jesus going to do when you're face to face with him, when you call him and gather his attention and he's fixed on us now. What is he going to do? Is he going to like take mud? Is he going to spit on us? Is he going to touch us? You start to think. And instead, what does Jesus say in verse 14? He looks at them and then he says, go show yourselves to the priests. How many of you would have been satisfied if that's what Jesus responded when clearly you have leprosy and clearly you're an outcast, but now clearly you have his attention? And he's like, yeah, turn around and just walk and go see the priest. Go show yourself to him. But here's the thing. Again, there are nuances and you have to understand what Jesus was actually telling them had very profound significance and meaning for them. And so again, we're going to look at Leviticus chapter 14 this time, verses 2 and 3. Because it's what Jesus said is brilliant. It was like a prophetic word before they were even healed. And he's telling them, turn around. Some of you might feel like God has rejected your prayer, that God has rejected your request, and the thing that you've been bringing before him but hear me his ways are not your ways his thoughts are not your thoughts bible says his thoughts are high above your thoughts and his ways are higher than your ways i can't never with this finite mind comprehend the way of god and neither can you one day on the other side of eternity all of life's questions and the why did this happen that way and not this way god I pray, God, make it clear so I can see it. Uh, but on this side of eternity, hear me, we might never get the answer. And I have learned to be okay with that. Like, let me give you a very quick personal, practical example. When my mom died from a car accident, one Sunday night, those of you, if this is Weston's your home, you know my story. I'm not shy about it. I'm not ashamed of it. But I remember... I. Uh, the biggest question that I could never answer was, why? Why did this have to happen? And I didn't think about the question long. You know who thought about it long? Everyone else. And they would come to us as a family and say, they were struggling. I, she was 50 years old. She loved the Lord. She was a sweet woman of God. Why her, Lord? Why not someone else or the other guy that T-boned them who was speeding in the Mustang? Like all those nuances and then I had a friend from Bible school who wrote me a prophetic email. I say prophetic. We didn't use that language for the email. But as I read it and as I think back, he wrote a poem. And I can't find the email. I wish I could to read back and reflect back. But the poem was addressing that very thing of why. Why did this have to happen? And he said, we can spend our whole lives stuck on why. But we will never know on this side of eternity. But one day we will know in full, as the scripture says. And it just set me free from the question of why, Lord? Why does this have to happen? And it set me free. Jesus doesn't have to do things my way. He does things his way. And if he is my capital M, Master, Lord, and Savior then guess what? His way is always better than my way. And, and that's me saying, Lord, I yield my preference, my will to you. And Lord, I say, I know what I want. And just like Jesus said, nevertheless, let your will be done. And so Jesus tells these 10 guys, not just one, not just three. He's looking at 10 guys and he says, turn around and go show yourselves to the priest. So what Pastor John, what does that mean? So Leviticus 14, 
Verses 2 to 3. The following instructions are for those seeking ceremonial purification from a skin disease. So we read what happens if you have a skin disease. You stay away. You're an outcast. You don't go around people. You don't comb your hair. So it's evident. And in case people are that dumb, then you yell, unclean, unclean. So now what happens if you're healed or if you don't have this anymore? This is what, he's te- what the law teaches and tells us. Those who have been healed, I put that in quotes, italics in my notes. Those who have been healed must be brought to the priest. You see the prophetic nature of what Jesus is telling them? He didn't say, you're healed, go, your faith has made you whole. He didn't even say that. He said, turn around and go show yourself to the priest. They must have known what that meant, or at least the nine, because we're told one of them was a foreigner and a Samaritan. That's who he was. The nine would have understood what Jesus was saying. But listen to this for a second. Those who've been healed must be brought to the priest who will examine them at a place outside the camp. If the priest finds that someone has been healed of a serious skin disease, like leprosy, he will perform a purification ceremony using two live birds that are ceremonially clean, a stick of cedar, some scarlet yarn, and a hyssop branch. Amazing, eh? It was the priests who would make the determination whether or not they were healed and then declared clean. So now you see the weight of what Jesus is actually telling them. By telling them, he's looking at them, he says, turn around and go show yourselves to the priest. What he's essentially saying is, you are healed. And they're going to verify exactly what I'm telling you to do. You can't miss it. you got to stop long enough and catch the nuance of the miracle in motion. Some of us, we're waiting and we don't really see what God is actually doing in this season. You, you don't perceive it with your human eyes, but don't be mocked, don't be deceived. God is actually doing something. you gotta, you got to see it through though. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. If God starts something, he's not like our builders today. Right, Nunzio? They start something and then they get busy and they go where the other money is. And Nunzio has told me, he goes, man, it's hard these days to get workers to show up when, when you need them. God is an expert builder that what he starts, he will complete in Jesus' name. And so that's the significance of what Jesus is actually telling them. He's like, he didn't say the words that they were expecting. Your faith has made you whole. He said, turn around and go. Show yourself. But in so doing, they were healed. It's amazing. Amazing. And I'm so grateful that God doesn't do things the way I want him to. Because then that's me saying, I'm in charge. You do things my way. And instead, the way of Christ is one of submission. Where, nevertheless, let your will be done, not mine, God. And here's the important part of the story. The healing is a miracle. It's great. But there's something, I think, even more important that Jesus wanted us to catch in the text. It says they were healed, verse 14, as they went. Jesus didn't heal them and then give the instruction. So obedience and faith were both required for the healing to take place. A lot of times we think, I have the faith and that's enough. But you have to have obedience and faith. If God is saying something, you have to follow through. So if Jesus said, turn around and walk out and go see the priest. And they didn't go. I wonder if they would have seen the miracle happen. You know, it's easy when there's 10 people because we're all in this together and we all walk in the direction together. But, you know, it's probably harder if it's just one person. But I don't want to underestimate the value of your obedience. Don't, don't, Don't miss out on that. Have faith, trust in God, but obey what he's saying, even if you don't understand it. Because I'm wondering if, that not, if the 10th one, the foreigner, understood the law. Did he even understand the, the weight of Jesus' word? But yet, 
he was still healed because he obeyed. So obedience is tied to seeing God move, not just your faith. But we have to have obedience to what he says and, and follow his word. So Jesus healed them on their way. And my question for you is, is your trust in God strong enough that you act on what he says even before you see evidence that it will work? Some of you I see like this. Like, let me break it down. Let's leave healing there because maybe some of us, it's like, well, it's not healing, but it's here. God gives you an idea to start a business. And you go, oh, yeah, it's going to be great. But you never actually start it. You just have an idea. Well, we know. An idea is great, but unless you execute on the idea, it's just a great idea. And for some of us, Again, it's a hidden season of trial and error where God wants to teach you the skills of being an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, whatever that looks like in your scenario. But along the way, you're acquiring the tools necessary to run a business. Or maybe he's saying, hey, pick up the phone and I want you to call this person and be a little vulnerable. Let them know you want to learn from them. Buy them a nice lunch, not like a $2 coffee. If you're going to ask someone for wisdom and some of their time, make sure you take good care of them. Go to a nice place if you're wanting to get wisdom, if you want to learn and you want to ask questions. Because people who run businesses and who've been there, done that, they don't have a lot of time. And so, you know, they can't do it for everyone. But if you become one of those people that they say yes to, take, be, be a good steward of that opportunity. But again, obedience. You got to obey. So it's not just for the healing. It could be very practical in life when God speaks to you. You know, our young adults this Friday, uh, Leanne has been doing an awesome job leading them. She just told me before the service, she's like, Pastor John, Friday we, because they had like this outreach right here on our property where they had signs, free hot chocolate, and, uh, and cars were pulling over, and people just couldn't understand like, is it, like, you're sure we don't have to pay? It's like, no, it's free. Just take the cup, take the hot chocolate, the coffee, whatever it is. And it's, we want to be a blessing. And she said, like, people started giving money. And, and the one, though, Leanna, I know that one. He, what did he say? Remind me that that stuck out. I don't know if he's here today, so it's not to embarrass an individual. It's really the, the question. Oh, he said, what, what is this? It's, we're a church. Uh, what kind of church? A Christian church. And then he said to her, oh, well, I'm a bad Christian. <laughs> and it's like, well, we're here for people. And if you're a bad Christian, you need Jesus. So that's exactly why we're here. And it's amazing just acting in faith with an idea where we're able to connect with a person who I'm sure went home and thought a lot about their decisions in life, how they're acting, how they're behaving, and then has an opportunity. And I'll give you an opportunity, I said, at the end of the service to receive Christ because you will never be the same again. The way he healed the ten lepers with just his word, a command out of his mouth, he can turn your life around for the good. He can pull you out of a life of sin and then set you apart for your generation to be used with a purpose, for a purpose, and on purpose. And so again, is your trust in God strong enough that you act on what he says even before you see evidence that it will work? And I'm praying more and more these days, God, since we value your word, if I hear your word, help me to obey it even if I don't make sense of it. And I'll be honest, it was easy when I was single. You get married. It becomes a little harder. And then you have children. It gets multiplied. The difficulty of that gets a little harder because a decision affects a lot of other things, like dominoes that start to fall. May God help us. Husbands and wives, we got to hear the Lord together for our families. We don't want to step out on a whim or on a good thought. We want to make sure we hear from the Lord. And so what we're getting at in this text, again, 
The healing is amazing. We've been taking time to unpack it. But there's something else that Jesus wants us to catch in this whole story. And we find it in verses 15 and 16. I want to read that verse 15. One of them. In my Bible, I underlined one. How many did he heal? Ten. We know this story if you've grown up in church. But I want you to catch it. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet thanking him <coughs> for what he had done. And then there's this extra little phrase that we can't gloss over. This man was a Samaritan. The one who most likely was the least connected to the law. Who probably meant very little to him. He was a foreigner. By the way, Jews... <coughs> excuse me. Jews and Samaritans didn't mix, didn't get along, didn't hang out, didn't associate with one another. I don't know how he made it in with the other nine. We assume the other nine were Jewish. But he was a part of this group of ten. And you would think the nine that understood Jesus' words of turn around and go show yourself to the priest, they would have known instantly. The foreigner wouldn't have known. So to him, okay, I'm going to go. In faith and obedience, I'm going to go. Not knowing, understanding fully why, but I'm going to do it. On his way, he's the one who sees and goes, Oh, I'm healed. I'm going to... He didn't even, it doesn't even say he went to the priest or made it there, but, but that he had to go back to Jesus, the source. Jesus, the source of the healing. The source of the word that brought change and brought life. And he goes back to Jesus and it says that he praised God and he fell at his feet and started thanking him. I want to speak the title of the message is Thanksgiving Seasons. Thanksgiving Seasons. And real short, real simple, every season is a season for thanksgiving. Every season is a season for thanksgiving. Come hell or high water, doesn't matter what you're walking through. It is a great time to start giving God thanks. It might not make sense to your brain, but you know God is always working for your good. For the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. So I, when, I, when I read that scripture, there's a condition. You have to love the Lord. Romans 8.28 God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Do you love the Lord today? Do you love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, with all of your might, with all of your soul? That means with everything. Because He cares about you. All were healed, but only one of them stopped to praise God. And that phrase, this man was a Samaritan, the least likely person, was the only one who came back. The least likely person. What is Luke trying to show us? Luke is showing us that God offers grace to everyone. Not just to Israel, not just to a certain special group of people, but the opportunity is to every, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone. Doesn't matter your current situation, doesn't matter what you've been going through, doesn't matter your background, your family history, your last name, your social status, your financial status, your education, your career path. Or not. Doesn't matter. God is showing his grace and his mercy to whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. And so it doesn't matter, just like in our story, if you fit in or if you're an outcast. 
You know, one of the things we love about our church is that we're a welcoming church. People say, I felt so loved when I came in that people went out of their way to say hi and to greet me. And if you know me, I might ask your name about 14 times, but I'll get it. I'll get it. And I, I make no apology. I'm like, sorry, I love names. I love learning names. I love challenging my brain to remember names and faces. But it's because every single person counts. Every person matters to God. If you matter to God, you should matter to other Christians who call themselves Christians. And so um, as we think about what Jesus is saying, he could have commented about so many other things in this story like, yeah, you've been healed, right? Even though you're a Samaritan, I still got you. He didn't, he didn't even say that. You know what he commented on? Weren't there ten? Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? The ones who understood. Where were the nine who should have been more grateful because they knew exactly what was happening and, and what I've done for them? Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? And he says these words which are very sad. And I think the church needs to listen closely. Verse 18. Has no one returned to give God glory, uh, to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now he says, your faith has healed you to the foreigner. Where were the nine? Where were the nine? I'm going to ask if our worship team could come back. And we're going to end with a praise song today. Not like this. We're going to end like this. So we're going <clears> to <throat> cue that song. I've, this is just a tickle in my throat. It's been three weeks now. And I just decided a few weeks ago, I'm going to continue preaching. I sing hard and I preach with all that is within me. I pour it all out. I said, if I have to turn, I got all the candies in my pocket. I'll just take them for next on Monday or whatever. Thank you. I got a whole bunch. But here's the thing. I've just decided I'm going to thank God anyway. I'm going to thank God. Whether I have breath in these lungs or a cough that comes out, it's going to be my offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. <laughs> Hear me for a second. From the nine, we are reminded of how we oftentimes treat God. Hear me for a second. We stand at a distance maybe instead of engaging and getting into his presence. Maybe we cry out for his mercy. And Jesus does for you <clears throat> what you can't do for yourself. And then when he does those things, we just walk away and we move on without even giving it a second thought. And I fear that the church, Big C, Capital Church, Today, it's become more of this one-stop shop where I come in, almost like a, a car getting a tune-up in the garage, it's like readjustment, alignment, and then I'm in, and then I'm out, and I just check to see how fast I can do it now. And instead, I think when we do that, we come in, and then we leave, we get what we came for, so to speak, and Jesus is saying, but, but where's everyone? Where's everyone? I'm not saying we have to stay till 6 p.m. It's an issue of the heart, not about the time. It's an issue of the heart. Why are we here? You know, I've been really reminded that church, who is church primarily for? You're like, ah, oh, I don't want to shout out an answer if I'm wrong. We exist to glorify the Lord, to glorify God. The primary reason for the church is to gather and to worship the Lord. That's the, one of the primary reasons we've been created to worship. We've been created to worship. So if you're, an, and I use this in air quotes because we welcome everyone and we want this to feel like home, but we're going to have church in here. We're not going to candy coat and water down and make it palpable so that everyone feels comfortable. 
No, no, no. You should feel uncomfortable if you are unholy, if you're a sinner, and you walk into a place where this is holy ground set aside for the presence of the Lord to rain down. But here's the beauty that he comes and he wants to wash you clean with the rain of his presence. As it fills this place, it begins to move on your heart. And then we're going to get to this part of the service now where I said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be thankful for what Jesus has done and to receive him as Lord and Savior. Because here's the thing. Okay, you feel that something's different in here, so what? Well, here's the thing. Jesus, the Bible tells us God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son. The Bible says that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Perish doesn't just mean, well, one day I'm going to die. Perish means you're going to spend eternity in hell. But listen, you say, well, why would a good God send people to hell? No, no, no. God sent his one and only son that whosoever, that means there's no limit, there's no exclusion. It's for whoever, whosoever will. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not go to hell, would not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. That means when we pass from death here, we're going to pass to life there. And listen, I'll be very honest with you because I love you. The Bible never says good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. That's maybe what some crazy person who doesn't know the Bible would teach a child. But hear me, the Bible says, and Jesus himself was the one who said it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I'm here to, again, because I love you, to tell you there are not many ways to God the Father. There is only one way, and it is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you confess, Romans 10, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. Would you stand to your feet as I give you an opportunity today to receive Christ for the first time, or maybe you're going to recommit your life to Christ. But this is a great moment. It's not a moment of condemnation, which takes you down to a lower level in your life. That's what the devil wants for you. But when the Holy Spirit begins to convict your life, it's actually conviction, which is meant to take you to the next level. Not to bring you down. That's what the devil would do. The Bible says the devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life everlasting. Abundant life. A life that overflows. And if you're here today, here's it's two simple things. You repent of your sin, number one. That means I've been doing all this stuff. I've been living for myself. Repentance is a fancy Christian word that simply means to turn 180 degrees, not 360. Some pastors make that mistake, which means you're right back where you started. But he wants to take you from here. And you're saying, Jesus, I fix my eyes on you now. You are my master and I receive your grace today for the forgiveness of my sins. And then I confess them as Lord. Guess what? You'll never be the same again. His blood, the blood shed on the cross, washes you white as snow. The Bible says you are a new creation. The old is passed away. It's dead and gone. But behold, you're a new creation. You're a new creation. If you're here within the sound of my voice before we sing, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ. And I'm simply going to count to three. And you say, Pastor, why count to three? You know, last week I made the mistake. We're recapping uh, from our encounter night in the north. And I gave an opportunity. And I said, I count to three because I want to force you to make a decision. And, and though what I meant was, was well-meaning, um, Priscilla's like, we got to not say the word force because it sounds like, you're going to decide. No, it's to lead you, lead you 
to make a decision. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm leading you to this point now where you get to decide. Maybe you've been backslidden, you once served the Lord and you've been running hard in the other direction. I believe this is your divine opportunity. It's a season of thanksgiving that you can thank God that he interrupted you on this rat race, this, this crazy life you've been going about living. And he interrupted your plans to say, hey, I'm calling you, I'm calling you back to the Father. And if you're here and you're either for the first time going to pray this or you're running back to Jesus today, would you slip your hand on the count of three and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. One, two, three. Slip it high, but real quick, not to embarrass you, just to acknowledge. Is there anyone in this room? Is there anyone here today? You say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and surrender to his lordship. In Jesus' name. And if you're watching online, I don't want to forget about this opportunity that you have. So I'm, I'm going to lead us in this prayer and then we're going to sing. And we're going to rejoice in what God has done. So repeat this prayer after me. <laughs> Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you today just as I am. But thank you that you don't want to leave me the way I came. Thank you that you want to transform me from the inside out. And so I come to you now and I repent of my sin. I repent of living life my way. And I turn to follow you, Jesus. I willingly confess that I need you now. And I confess that Jesus, you are Lord. And God, I believe that you raised them from the dead. And so I receive you now by faith. And I thank you that I will never be the same again. From this day forward, help me to serve you and help me to live for you with no nonsense not being fake about it, but being real with you, Jesus. I give you my life. It is yours forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So listen, I just want to say, I didn't see any hands in the room, and I don't take that as a hit on my ministry. I just look at it and say, we never know what God's doing in someone's heart. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or you're recommitting your life to Christ, on the black connect card, there's a moment there, a, a checkbox that you can say, I've prayed the, this way, first time decision for Christ, or I'm recommitting my life to Christ. If you're watching online, you can fill it out digitally as well. But let us know that you've made this prayer and you've prayed this. It means a lot, but we want to follow up with you and, and come alongside of you in this decision. And I want to end by saying this, and then we're going to sing. Are we ready? Amen. Amen. We're ready. We're going to sing this song. But Hebrews 13 verse 15 says this, Therefore by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And, and there's a quote from a man I want to read. It says, H.A. Uh, Ironside, we would worry less <clears throat> if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. Can I tell you one thing that's going to inform what we're about to do as we close the service? There's a study that was done on the brain and on the body and on the thoughts. And it simply is this. Did you know that gratitude, the act of gratitude and anxiety, stress, they can't exist in the brain at the same time. And the reminder then is, am I spending more time in this zone of anxiety and stress and all of that? Or can I flip that switch 
and praise the Lord. You want the like more scientific way because I feel like some of you got that and then some of you are still like questioning. Listen, studies have shown that gratitude reduces anxiety, depression too, in part by optimizing the function of the autonomic nervous system as well as those same neurotransmitters involved in anxiety. The brain can't respond to anxiety and gratitude at the same time, which means it's one or the other. Yeah. So to be less anxious, let's be more grateful. Yeah. And on this Thanksgiving, we want to end by giving thanks to God. I end with this and then I'm going to turn it over to the team. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, one of my favorite scriptures says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Be thankful in everything, in all circumstances. Not thankful for everything. Thankful in everything that we go through. Amen? Listen, we enter His gates with thanksgiving, but we go into the inner courts then, the next level, with praise. This is the secret I leave you with, and we're going to sing it. It's a one-two punch. Enter the gates with thanksgiving. Gates are opened in my life. Enter the gates with thanksgiving. And then you enter his courts with praise is the second punch. Boom. And whatever you're going through, it sends a message to the enemy of your soul to say, I don't care what you throw my way. Nothing's going to steal my praise. So let's hit it and let's sing it today as we end the service. And I'll come up and I'll close us out. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord.
I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. And as we go today, we go shouting, rejoicing, and praising, not because we have it all figured out, but we serve the one who does. Amen. And so this weekend, whatever your plans are for tomorrow, this afternoon, for tomorrow, remember it's a season of thanksgiving, not just because the calendar dictates it or your circumstances dictate, but remember every season I give you thanks, God. Every season I thank you, Lord. Even if it doesn't make sense right now to me, God, I thank you. And then we praise the Lord because it confuses the enemy. He goes, whoa, 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 I, I thought they were going to trip on this. And then they're praising God still. I, does, I don't get it. And so let's continue to give God the praise. And I said this earlier, even if he never did another thing for us, the cross is more than enough. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Father, I thank you for this day. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, our joy doesn't take into account our present circumstances. Jesus, you said the joy that was set before you was worth enduring the cross for the joy that was before you. Lord, I pray that even in the face of trials, and tribulations and difficult moments we would count it all joy God that you are making us into who you need us to be God I pray that as we leave this place with thanksgiving and with praise God we will live to glorify you this is why we've been created to glorify you Lord, I pray that you would get some glory today out of this house. Lord, I pray that you would get glory out of this church today, Lord, in the city of Toronto. Lord, I pray that you would get some glory today. And Lord, we thank you that though we don't know everything this side of heaven, Lord, we know whose hand we're holding. Lord, we know that your arm is not short, your ear is not deaf that you are near to the brokenhearted. Lord, you've made everything possible for us. So Lord, we trust you with our lives. God, as we go from this place, bless the food, bless the meals, bless our conversation. Lord, and may we be careful about how we speak about you, careful about how we speak about your church, which is your bride, your prized possession. Lord, careful to even speak uh, of how we speak about Israel, Lord, the apple of your eye. And if we hear, Lord, things that contradict what your word says, Holy Spirit, would you prick our hearts with conviction and that we would stand up in the face of opposition. But Lord, if there be anything that oppose what you said in your word, Lord, as believers, it is our responsibility to stand up. And God, I thank you. I thank you. We don't lean left or right we stand and God I pray that that you would give us courage Holy Spirit you are the power within us and Lord we thank you God be honored and glorified for the things you've done the things you're doing in our midst and in our lives and in our families and the things still to come in Jesus name amen and amen amen hey it's been great to be <laughs> Great to be together. Have a happy Thanksgiving on behalf of Weston Road Pentecostal Church. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you. And we say this, though the service is over, church is not. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.